Our text for the sermon this morning is Psalm 131. Psalm 131, we will read it right now. Psalm 131, a song of ascent of David. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, one characteristic of God's word is that it continually turns the world's values on its head. Take, for example, what the world says about pride. In our world today, pride is considered a virtue. A quick internet search revealed one person's message. Be proud of who you are and everything you have overcome. Now that sentiment isn't held by only one person, for it is essentially the world's message. And the world says that pride is a key to success in life and is something to be celebrated. But Scripture gives a radically different message. For example, Proverbs 6 says that there are six things that the Lord hates and seven things that are an abomination to him. And the first item on that list is haughty eyes. Pride is not considered a virtue by the Lord. In fact, it is a sin. Now, similar things can be said about how the world finds views finding true peace and hope in this life. When it comes to finding true peace and contentment, the world looks in vain for a number of crutches. Maybe give yoga a try. What about three weeks in cottage country? That gives a little relief anyways. And when it comes to finding ultimate hope for the future, many people probably look to something like science. With all the medical advances we've come up with in the last 20 years alone, who knows what the future holds? Maybe scientists can cure every ailment that bothers us. However, as we will see this morning, Scripture gives us a radically different message from the world when it comes to these things. Psalm 131, our text this morning, is a psalm of David. And though it was written thousands of years ago, and in a different place, and in a different culture, as God's word, it is timeless. And it contains a number of profound truths about these matters. And it is just as relevant today as it was back then. So I've summarized the sermon as follows. The king of Israel teaches God's people about true humility, peace, and hope. We will look at first, true humility, second, true peace, and third, true hope. King David himself had learned the scriptural truth that pride is not a virtue. One would think that as a successful king in Israel... 
David's heart would be full of pride. After all, isn't he the one whom they sang about in their songs? Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Defeating your enemies in battle would already be a temptation towards pride. But surely having all the women of Israel sing about your accomplishments would be even more so. But despite all this, the Holy Spirit has graciously worked in David's heart true humility. David begins Psalm 131 with these words, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. And these two expressions used by David are both biblical figures of speech describing a humble person. Both David's inner man, his heart, and his outer man, his eyes, have rejected pride and have embraced humility. In his heart, he does not secretly exalt himself over other people or steal the honor that is due God's name. His outer posture gives proof of his humble heart. David does not look down on those around him, nor does he exalt himself when he looks up toward God. In fact, David confesses in Psalm 8 that when he does physically raise his eyes towards the heavens, it only produces further humility. He says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you should care for him? By the opening words of Psalm 131, David, as king over Israel, is teaching God's people to cultivate this same humility. As you can notice from the superscription, Psalm 131 is one of the Psalms of Ascents. Numerous times a year, the people of Israel were called to journey towards Jerusalem for one of the annual feasts. The people most likely sang these psalms on their journey. And singing this particular psalm would give the people the right posture as they came to to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. 1 Peter 4 verse 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When people approach the Lord in worship, whether it be the Israelites back then or us today, the only attitude suitable before him is a humble attitude. If we expect to find grace from the Lord, then humility is the only option for us. Now David's humble heart not only governed his eyes, but it also influenced what he involved himself in. He says in verse 1, Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. And this has a number of implications. First, it means that David was content with the place and task that God had assigned to him. As king, the Lord had made it David the servant of the people. But David might have been tempted to pursue all kinds of selfish ambitions that would have glorified his throne and his kingdom. So often when men are given absolute power in this world, they become megalomaniacs, intent on glorifying themselves 
and maintaining their power at all costs. For example, in the book of Daniel, King Darius made a law saying that for 30 days, no one was permitted to pray to anyone else besides him. King Darius certainly pursued things that were too great and that were too profound for him. Now, King David might not have been tempted to make that sort of law, but he might have been tempted to pursue activities designed to glorify himself outside the task that God had given him. And the words, things too great and too profound for me, they also mean something else. David also did not concern himself with things that were only God's business. Great and profound matters, also could be translated as marvelous things, are often attributed to the work of God in Scripture. Job 5 verse 9 says, God does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. You see, David had not only accepted the limitations of his role as king, but he also accepted the limitations of his humanity. As humans, we are not permitted to pry into God's secret counsel. Yes, we are called to study the things that God has revealed in his word, but Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 teaches us, that although the revealed things belong to us and our children forever, the secret things belong to the Lord. We have no business meddling in God's secret business. If we do that, then we are doing things that we were never designed to do. Those things are too great and too profound for us to comprehend. Through his humility... David displays in Psalm 131 the type of king that Israel so desperately needed. They needed a humble king. Whenever the kings of Israel puffed themselves up with pride, it meant disaster. Think of King Rehoboam. When he proudly increased the financial burden on the Israelites, it led to the division of the kingdom. But God's people always flourished under the reign of humble kings. Think of King Josiah, who humbled himself in repentance after the reading of God's law. And as a result, the Lord delayed the the exile for the people. And of course, God's people flourished the most through the most humble king of all, Jesus Christ. We read from Philippians 2 this morning. And Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus Christ, though he was in the very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something to be clutched onto, but he humbled himself. Those things that were too great and too profound for King David, they properly belonged to God's Son, He had every right to those things. What David knew was out of bounds for him, the Son of God was entitled to. Yet in humility, he did not hold on to those things, but he let them all go, that he might take hold of us, poor sinners. 
Philippians 2 says that Christ became a servant. He took upon himself a true human nature and humbled himself, becoming obedient all the way to being crucified on the cross. He gave himself that he might save us. He was obedient to his Father's will for him, and he humbled himself to serve and to save us. Christ was not seeking his own glory, but the glory of the Father. He was not seeking his own benefit, but our benefit. And Philippians 2 also tells us that in view of Christ's humility, we are all called to cultivate that same humility in our lives. And one way to express this humility is like King David by not occupying ourselves with things too great and too profound for us. You see, these things can be a temptation for us as well. We can all too easily selfishly pursue things beyond the place and calling God has assigned us. It is also so easy for us to want to reach beyond our human limitations and find out what God is up to in his secret counsel. When we deal with difficulties here on earth, it can raise all kinds of questions in our mind. How come there is evil and suffering in the world? Why doesn't God save more people? Why didn't God prevent this accident that happened to me? How come I need to go through this painful trial? Why did God make me like this? What does the future hold? And these are all questions that can arise in our hearts that call out for an answer. And indeed, it is understandable that these questions do arise in our hearts. And we shouldn't think that it is sinful that they come about. But we need to realize that prying into God's secret counsel does not bring about the peace that is described for us in this psalm. And neither does something like pursuing vainglory. These things bring inner turmoil instead. And this brings us to the second point. The path to, to attaining true peace and contentment avoids occupying ourselves with things too great and too profound for us. James 3 verse 16 says, Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Many people chasing after vainglory and power have failed to attain their goal and have only gained a restless heart instead. And if they do manage to attain their lofty goals, their hearts are soon dissatisfied with what they have attained. And so they are never at peace. And as for us humans, when we experience the brokenness of life, again, it is natural that questions arise in our hearts as we wonder, what is God up to? But you see, pride starts to take over when we begin to feel and think that we know better than God or when we start to turn our questions into a grudge against God or when we angrily shake our fists at God. When I was in university, I had a philosophy professor who grew up as a Roman Catholic and believed that God existed. But when he was confronted with the problem of evil in a philosophy class, 
he confessed to us that this question began to eat at him and that he began to lose sleep because of this problem. He was unwilling to be content with his human limitations and did not stop prying into God's secret matters. And soon he gave up all belief in God. And of course, when we struggle with or questions about God's ways, we should not think we're doomed to go down that path. Certainly not. But it demonstrates that when we step outside of our bounds as creatures and try to figure out God's secret counsel, it will never give us peace in our hearts, but only turmoil. King David, on the other hand, humbly learned to quiet his soul. He says in verse 2, Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. The picture David is alluding to here is that of a young child that no longer needs its mother's milk. Children at the time, at David, in David's time were weaned a lot later than we do now. Generally, they would have been about three years old. And when the child was still breastfeeding, the child would cry out in agony and frustration and even anger at times when he did not get mother's milk at the time of his liking. And if you have ever witnessed a hungry baby crying, you know how loud the cries can become and that nothing will satisfy the child except mother's milk. But once the child is weaned, he no longer feels the need or the desire to cry out like this. Although he does not get what he once craved, he is simply content to sit on mother's lap in peace and harmony, no longer crying out. And King David had learned to quiet his soul in this fashion. He has become content with the limits that God has assigned him. What his heart once craved, things too profound for him, through the Holy Spirit, he's able to humbly put them aside and enjoy the inner peace that comes with it. Now, as, as I mentioned in point one, Christ our King surpassed David in humility. And being sinless, he would never need to quiet a proud heart. He humbly accepted the task the Father gave him. But though Christ humbly obeyed the Father, this did not mean that Christ experienced complete peace in his soul. No, on the contrary, his obedience led to great anguish in his soul. And this was because he came to bear the full weight of God's wrath against our sins. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion, Christ confessed that, his, that he was troubled and that his soul was not quiet and peaceful, but sorrowful, sorrowful even to the point of death. The task set before him troubled his soul so much that he even prayed to the Father, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But what were our Lord's final word, words in the garden? Not as you will, not as I will, but as you will. Christ humbly obeyed the Father, even though it cost him the greatest anguish of soul. 
He obeyed even though it led him to cry out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But by his obedience, he drank the cup of God's wrath for us and in our place. He gave his life to redeem us from eternal death. And this is why we ultimately can have peace in our souls. By his suffering, Christ has reconciled us to God. We can now look forward to eternal life. We don't need to fulfill our selfish ambitions in order to find satisfaction in life. We now have a much higher cause of working for the glory of the God who has saved us. We can find satisfaction in our relationship with our God. As the church father Augustine once said, You have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Since we have now been received into God's grace, we can, like David, find peace and contentment, serving God in the lives he has called us individually to live. And because of what God has done for us in giving up his very own son, we also do not need to have all of our questions answered about God's secret workings. Sometimes we might think that we won't have rest in our hearts until all of our questions are answered. But peace does not come by having all of our questions answered. Peace comes by humbly quieting our souls like little children. We can contemplate what God has done for us to save us from our sins, from his wrath. The Lord displayed his unfathomable goodness and love when he sacrificed his very own son to adopt us as his own children. And he now promises us that all evil strikes at us in vain and that whatever adversity we face in this life of sorrow, he will turn it all for our good. And because of that, we can have peace without knowing God's secret ways. We, we can be content with the limitations of our humanity and rest assured that our Heavenly Father who gave up his own Son for us that he is good and that he knows what he is doing. We can quiet our own souls like weaned children, knowing that as the heavens are as high above the earth, so God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts and his ways higher than my ways. You see, earthly fathers and mothers, they don't tell their children everything they do in their daily lives. And for good reason. There are some things that are too much for small children to comprehend at the place they are at in their lives. And this doesn't mean that parents are sneakily hiding things from their children in a sinful manner. Of course not. They are doing what is best for their own children. Telling children everything about mom and dad's business would not lead to their flourishing as children. A child to be content and happy is not concerned with everything mom and dad are doing. And how much more is this true between us and our almighty heavenly father? 
Some things are beyond our capacity to comprehend as humans. Truly, our Heavenly Father knows best, and we can be content with that. Quieting our souls like this can be certainly difficult. Our souls are constantly trying to cry out like hungry children. Of all the Psalms in the Psalter, Psalm 131 takes nearly the least amount of time to read, but perhaps it is one of the Psalms that takes the longest to learn. When we are children, we are constantly wanting to grow up and become adults, but the rest of our lives are spent learning to trust like children again. But through the help of the Holy Spirit, we can do this. God gives us his grace for this too. And this brings us to the last point. In verse 3, King David now addresses the people of Israel. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. In humility again, David here teaches God's people about where their hope really lies. The temptation for the people of Israel as they made their way up to Jerusalem for the feast, would be to put their hope in their earthly king, in David himself. Most of them probably lived in unimpressive stone houses somewhere out in Bytown, in the, in the sticks in Israel. And as they laid their eyes on that palace of the king, they might be captivated by that display of splendor. Look at that huge palace of the king. Look at all that wealth. Look at all that power. This is where it's at. Surely this is where our hope for the future lies. If we are ever in financial trouble in the future, then it is the king who will help us out of it. If our enemies attack us, then it is the king from whom we will get our help. And the temptation for David would be to want the people to put their trust in him. That's so often what earthly kings and rulers want from their people. Earthly governments want their people to view them as their savior and as their hope. Because this in their mind is what secures their power for the future and brings glory to their name. Earthly rulers want to make you believe that your ultimate hope for the future rests in having them in power. But this, is not, this was not the way it was to be with Israel's king. That was the way of failure. David knows that the people's help and salvation comes from God and not from him. And he teaches the people here to place their hopes in the right person the Lord alone. And that is the consistent message of Scripture, that our only hope for the present and the future is in our covenant God. David's words here in verse 3, they echo the last few lines of the preceding psalm, Psalm 130, which we sing. In that psalm too, Israel is urged to put their hope in God because with him, is full redemption. And what happened to those Israelites who put their hope in God? They were not disappointed. 
God did redeem Israel through the much greater king, Jesus Christ. God fulfilled all of his promises in Jesus Christ. And this gives us us, all the more reason to put our hope in God today. We can see from our vantage point that God was faithful to his covenant to bring about the salvation he promised in the Old Testament. He has demonstrated to us in his word that, and in Jesus Christ that he is completely trustworthy. And with Jesus Christ, Christ now reigning in heaven, it gives us even more confidence for the future. Jesus Christ is reigning at the right hand of the Father. Since Christ is more than a man and is also our Lord, we can put our hope in him too. No one can snatch us out of Christ's hand in his kingly glory. And he is directing all of the world's events for the building up of his church. This gives us tremendous hope as we look toward the future. Even though we might go through painful trials and many difficulties and cannot understand why many things happen here on earth, we can be sure that God will fulfill all his promises toward us when we look towards him in faith. Just as he led the Israelites in the desert towards the promised land, we can trust his leading to bring us to our eternal inheritance that he has given us in his Son. No one whose hope in him will ever be put to shame. As we look towards the future, we can say with Job, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Amen.